Thank you very much, Ivan and Jane. Good evening, everyone. Um, for those who don't know me already, um, I'm Becca. I'm married to Jonathan, and I've been a member of St. Barnabas for about eight years now. And as Jonathan said, um, together we lead a community called Restore, focused on reaching those who would, like us, like to do more to tackle the climate cri crisis and care for the environment. Um, if you'd like to hear any more about this, um, like to uh, find out a bit more about it, please do talk to Jonathan or I or Ivan and Jane afterwards, and we'd be very glad to tell you more about it. Um, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to um, share with you on Eco Sunday. And before I start, um, I'll pray. So Father, thank you for this opportunity to celebrate harvest and think about how the food we eat affects the world around us. Please would you speak to us now as we look at the Bible together. Help me to speak your words and let anything I say that isn't from you be quickly forgotten. Help us all to be open and attentive to what you want to say to us and ready to respond. Amen. Um, well, we don't have to search hard to find ways in which the food we eat, the food we're so thankful for and we've been celebrating this evening at harvest, affects the world around us. And to see the signs that there is something seriously wrong with our food system. Um, we can see that the scale of agriculture globally is massive and also its potential to affect the environment. So half of the world's habitable land is used for agriculture and 94% of the mammals on Earth are livestock that we keep mostly for food production. Food accounts for about a quarter of our greenhouse gas emissions which cause climate change and it leaves seas and fresh waters polluted by fertilisers. We might have heard about ways in which the food we, um, producing our food affects the natural environment. When we hear about the destruction of the rainforest, some of the major causes of this relate to food. So um, oil palms, which uh, clues in the name make palm oil, um, and that goes into so many different foods that we eat, like even pizza dough, ice cream. Um, this is a, requires a rainforest climate. And so plantations in Indonesia and Malaysia are often um, planted at the expense of rainforests. Um, and beef and soy production um, are driving more than two thirds of recorded habitat loss in Brazil's Amazon and in forests in Argentina and Paraguay. Uh, deforestation in the Amazon reached a 15 year high last year. Living next door to a field uh, that grows wheat and sugar beet, as we now do, um, over the past year, it's really brought it home to me how the um, different um, uh, pesticides are, that are needed to make that field grow affect the wildlife in our garden. And um, you know, we really love seeing the insects um, pollinating things, and um, actually, that can have a, a massive impact. Um, in the other direction, on the video we watched earlier. We've seen some of the challenges facing food production in Nepal as a result of climate change. And this year we've seen in East Africa um, that they've experienced the worst drought for 40 years um, following four consecutive seasons in which rains have failed. Um, we've also seen impact on food production here in the UK. Um, farmers reported some of the earliest harvests of wheat this year with the unusually hot and dry weather and some fruit and vegetable crops um, almost failing due to the... the um, the change in the climate. Um, as a result of drought, inequality and other factors, um, about one in 10 people globally go to bed hungry every night, including here in the UK. 
Um, and with food prices rising across the world um, and the impact of the war in Ukraine on food and energy costs, there's a real likelihood that could rise even further. And yet, despite this, um, we actually waste um, a lot of food that is produced globally, so that could be up to 30%. Um, the UN estimates that if food waste was a country, it would be the third highest emitter of greenhouse gases after the USA and China. So what does the Bible have to say to the, about this? Um, today we're going to look at a passage from the third book of the Old Testament, which literally means of the Levites. It follows on from God making a covenant or an agreement with Moses and the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. And it deals with the challenge of how people who are not holy can come into the presence of and have a relationship with the holy God and not die as a result. It's a set of instructions relating to rituals, priesthood and purity, both moral and ritual. Perhaps as a result, we don't always see it as a page turner. So our passage is in Leviticus 26, and it comes at the end of these instructions. And it's a call to be faithful to God and the covenant that he's made with Israel. So if you can turn with me now to Leviticus 26, verses 1 to 13, I'll read that to us. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. And do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant you peace in your land, and um, you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. If you. I will look on you with favor, and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest, when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people." I am the Lord you, your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. So what can we learn about our relationship to food and the environment from this passage written a good two and a half thousand years ago? Um, firstly, we learn from this passage that God cares about the Israelites' food production and their harvest. One of the ways in which God wants to bless Israel for obeying him is to send rain in its season, to make the ground yield its crops and the trees their fruit, and to ensure they eat all the food they want. There's an abundance to it. It's not a stingy or an economical blessing. You'll still be eating last year's harvest when you'll have to move it out to make room for the new. This is a key part of the picture painted in this passage of the blessings of living in right relationship with God. 
God not only wants Israel to taste and see that he is good, as it says in Psalm 34, but also to be a light to the surrounding nations, showing them the blessings of honouring God. We see Jesus demonstrate this same concern about food many times in the Gospels, feeding thousands from a packed lunch when they were hungry, directing the disciples to a miraculous haul of fish, and perhaps a bit more tenuously, turning water into wine at Cana. The result is the same abundance. Secondly, this passage reminds us of God's sovereignty about, over the environment around us. He has the power to cause the ground to yield crops and trees to fruit, because he's the God of Genesis, who on the third day of creation spoke all the vegetation into being. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear, uh, bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so, and God saw that it was good, as it says in Genesis 1. Jesus also demonstrates his power over the natural environment in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, when he curses the fig tree, causing it to wither from the roots, which is a physical sign of a spiritual point about fruitfulness. Thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, this passage points us to the importance of living in right relationship with God, putting him above all other gods or idols in our life, in verse 1. Honouring God through having reverence for him, in verse 2, and following his decrees and obeying his commands, in verse 3, including the Sabbath. All the blessings outlined in this passage flow from trusting in God as Israel's faithful and trustworthy covenant partner and living in the way he calls us to. This theme is picked up again and again in the Bible. In Deuteronomy 5, Israel is called to walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. The Apostle Paul, in Romans 12, urges the Roman church in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So how does this work? How does such a harvest result from obeying God? I think this passage is promising God's favour in a miraculous or supernatural way, given the abundance that's described. But there are also some extremely practical ways in which obeying God command, God's commands leads to a blessing on Israel's harvest, and the natural environment. Because God created our environment, he also intimately understands how we can live within it in the most harmonious way. If we turn back one chapter to Leviticus 25, we see God instituting the Sabbath year. God's principle of Sabbath rest after six days of work, modelled in creation, is to apply not only to his people on a weekly basis, as we're reminded in verse 2 of chapter 26, but also to the whole pattern of, of agriculture on a yearly basis. So it says, in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. This must have required a considerable act of faith to trust that God would provide for a whole year without actively farming. Yet this was also key to ensuring that the land was not degraded by overuse. God promised he would send such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. 
On top of this, the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, occurring after every seventh Sabbath year, is in the words of Melody Merton from Tear Fund, an economic, cultural, environmental and communal reset, when the land and people rest, and all those who are in slavery are set free to return to their communities. Not only was the land to be left for another year unfarmed, but land that had been bought and sold was to be returned to its original owner. Melody Merton goes on to say, within the reality of life in a world of broken relationships, Jubilee is an expression of God's desire for all of creation to flourish. It is radical and countercultural, and it is prophetic, then and now. It is a model for a community living well, according to God's will, so that they can thrive as individuals and as a community, and in so doing, shine as light to the rest of the world. This concern for addressing economic inequality, as well as the impact on the environment, is also shown in the command to Israel's farmers in Leviticus 23. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. God demonstrates this, his concern for food production to benefit the most marginalised, as well as the landowners and their workers. And in the book of Ruth, we see how this worked. Boaz was following God's instructions and leaving the margins of his field unharvested. And as a result, Ruth was able to gather enough food for herself and her mother-in-law, Naomi, when they had nothing else to live on. It was a win-win situation in the end. Ruth and Naomi got food to eat, and Boaz got a wife. We know today this is also really good for wildlife, who can make the most of the margins of our fields. So what does this mean for us today? How can we apply these principles of honouring God, caring for the land and, the, and for the marginalised to the challenges we see in our food system. I wanted to share a few practical ideas that um, when we were discussing as Restore, we came up with. Um, and I, I'd just like to um, talk through these and then give you a bit of time to talk to your neighbour and maybe think, is there one of these actions that I could take away with me today? So we can make changes to how we manage our food and perhaps the easiest place to start is reducing food waste. Um, rising food prices will no doubt focus our minds on making the most of all the food we buy. And I, but I know myself that if I go to the supermarket having uh, worked out what I need um, and don't go when I'm hungry, I tend to be better at using up everything that I buy. We can also explore recipes to use up what might otherwise be food waste. That might be um, making stocks and soups out of bones um, or... Uh, recipes like puddings from stale bread, things like that. Although it's a fairly easy win, if we stopped wasting food altogether as a planet, we could not only address hunger, but also reduce our ga greenhouse gas emissions by almost a tenth. And then we can also um, think about composting our food waste, which is another potentially easy win if we've got a space. I only recently learned that composting leftovers significantly reduces the amount of methane they release into the environment as they decompose, which is a greenhouse gas more potent than carbon dioxide. Uh, one study estimated that the greenhouse gas emissions from composting are just 14% of the same food dumped into landfill. 
So an increase in composting worldwide could reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions by up to 2 billion tonnes by 2050. We could also make changes to what we eat or when we eat it. Um, so we could consider buying more local foods, eating what's in season, rather than eating the same foods all year round. I've recently been trying, not always successfully, to avoid buying vegetables and fruits I think have probably been flown into the UK on long-haul flights. I remember when I lived in um, France for a little while, there was so much expectation and anticipation about things arriving on the markets. And um, this was, um, I can just remember the, the mushrooms arriving in autumn and everyone getting really um, excited that they were there to buy for the first time that year. And um, I'd mostly bought my food in the supermarket growing up and it felt like everything was always there all the time. So this was um, really uh, surprising to me. And we could also think about reducing our meat consumption and eating a plant-rich diet. We'll each have our own views on whether we should follow a vegetarian or a vegan diet or not. And I can recommend chatting to Andrew Varley if you'd like to hear the case for a, uh, for a plant-based diet. Um, but reducing our meat consumption in just a small way can have a big impact. Um, Greenpeace claim that if everyone ate a plant-based diet, we'd need 75% less farmland than we use today. Over a quarter of the world's entire land area is used to graze or grow food for farm animals and food that could have been eaten by people in the first place. Um, and for example, just uh, to produce one kilo of chicken meat takes 3.2 kilos of crops. We can think about consuming fewer foods that have had a particularly negative effect on the environment as well, um, unless we know that they've been produced in an ethical way. So this might apply to products like palm oil, um, which are particularly linked to deforestation. If you're blessed to have some outside space, whether a garden, allotment, or a window box, we can reduce our food miles to zero by growing our own fruit and veg. And I know lots of us are already doing this. Um, not only does this reduce the emissions that are needed to transport food to us, um, and it also um, helps us to appreciate the process of growing food and our dependence on God in it. I find it brings to life a lot of parables from the Bible as well. And we can all enjoy making food into an adventure and foraging for it, uh, whether picking blackberries, making elderflower or elderberry cordial. Um, I wouldn't recommend going looking for mushrooms, however, and um, foraging does have to be done carefully and with plenty of knowledge of what you're looking for. Um, I can highly recommend talking to uh, Tim Smith. It's an excellent source of advice on local foraging uh, opportunities. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, we can live out the principles reflected in the law and in Jesus' teaching to be generous with our food. We might know people who struggle to buy or prepare nutritious food for themselves and invite them round, or who would benefit from a meal being taken to them. We can donate non-perishable food to the recently set up food donation point at the back of church, which will be used by Cambridge Sustainable Food to support eight community food hubs that um, support people around the city. Or you can support the local food bank at many supermarkets, donate money instead. And we can support organisations working on hunger and mitigating climate change in poorer countries, such as Tear Fund. If you do grow your own and you can't find any takers for your 37th courgette, you can donate them to the Cambridge Sustainable Food Hub at the Edge Cafe, which is just at the bottom of Mill Road, and they will distribute them there. Um, so I'll leave you with those ideas for now. 
knowing that you'll no doubt come up with loads more and great ideas yourselves. Um, so can I give you a few moments now to chat to your neighbour um, and think about what has stuck out for you, um, what has God been saying, and which one action could you take away from today relating to food? Um, and then I'd encourage you to keep in touch about it and see how you're getting on afterwards. So I'll leave you to have a chat now, and then I'll hand over to Anne.